in this area right here. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And if we glance, you take a glance at this chapter, you notice it's kind of in that uh, proverbial form of poetry that you have, like back in chapter, you know, the section there, time and, and place for everything. Remember back in chapter 3, right? Well, chapter 10 is like that. In fact, more than one writer says it looks like Solomon almost took a chapter out of Proverbs and came over and lifted it in chapter 10 in the book of Ecclesiastes. I believe there's a reason for that. I know there is because I not only believe the Word is inspired, I believe how God has arranged it in, his, in, in these letters. But I think part of, part of what's going on here is that we're looking at life, everybody help me, under the, under the sun. And a theme of of chapter 10, we're going to see it's mentioned nine times, is the fool or foolishness. And that's what you have a great deal of, of man without God and living life under the sun. And behind all of that, he's driving us toward the end of the book, toward, all right, get you above the sun in God and trusting him and knowing him as the answer and his wisdom for this life and the life to come. Can you say amen to that? So that's how I understand the purpose of what's going on in chapter 10, much about the fool and his foolishness in many different ways in life. And uh, so always the word is relevant to our own, to our own lives and our own, our own walk. So Father, would you help us today? All Scripture is God breathe right from you, right direct as if you're speaking today, right directly to us from your word. And because it is God breathe, because it is from you, it is profitable. Doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, mature, perfect. Well, we have a long ways to go, but we're growing, and we want to grow more. We want to know you better love you more, worship you better. So as we look at chapter 10 this day, may we not think about others, may we think about ourselves, and, and may you bring, may the Spirit of God bring the Word to bear upon our hearts as you always do, and may we listen, which always implies to heed. To hear is to heed in your Word. So may we do so today. And we'll give you praise for it. You are so worthy. So worthy. Bless our time under the word next hour and in the worship of the Lord's Supper. And we pray this in Christ's name together. And all of his people said, amen. All right. Concerning that theme that we're going to catch a number of times in chapter 10. In fact, let's, let's do it this way. Look with me at the end of chapter 9, uh, verse 14. There was a small city with few men, and it had a great king, came to it, surrounded, it was constructed, a large work site, but there was, there, um, there was found in it a poor wise man, and he's giving us the example here of a wise man and the benefit of wisdom, though he's not rewarded for it. And then he gets down to verse 18. Remember, the chapter divisions are not inspired, right? He gets down to verse 18. He says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Man, get wisdom. 
But one sinner destroys much good. And then he's going to convey to us an example of that in chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So is a little, everybody say the next words, a little what? A little foolishness. Now I have a, I'm going to be bouncing into the Proverbs a lot relating to the fool and the foolishness, and it's a great study for you to do your, on your own as you read through the Proverbs to mark those uh, particular verses that we want to be alert to. But I want us to think for a moment, Proverbs 17, 12. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs. Now think about that analogy for a moment. Could you imagine anything worse than that? A few things worse than that, right? Um, we're hearing about bears a lot, and it seems like, you know, as more people live and, and, and uh, build houses and want to be in the wilderness and so forth, or areas of the world, and, and then we got nature invading, and we hear about bears breaking into houses and all this type of thing. But think about that. A, a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Now, the folly is the foolishness characteristic of the fool. And to the fool, folly is a game. But this verse reminds us there's nothing funny about folly. And that's the point in the Scriptures. Oh, my. Wisdom is your life. Foolishness and folly is going to lead you down the path of destruction. Now, you may not know this. We have a two-year-old, almost two, soon to be two, very, two, very soon, granddaughter. And we were reminded yesterday of her depravity. Oh, man. Uh, a viper and diapers, right? Okay. <clears throat> she has, she's a climber. Of course, she's a unique child. She's my granddaughter, okay? But she's a climber. And she's now starting to walk a little more on her own, and, but, but she likes to get up on stuff. And when she gets up on stuff, she likes to stand up. And when she stands up, it's, it's, it's danger. Because if she falls, you know, off the chair or whatever else, she can really get hurt. She has no perception of that. To her, and then dad and mom, we love to watch them. They're not here today. We love to watch them. They're, the, they're going to learn from us to be perfect parents. Okay? They say, uh-uh, you get down. And she just continues. So then they repeat it, and then they grab her. She gets down, and then you know what she does right away? She gets right back up. You know why? Listen, it's a game with her until, right, until they get firm and they deal with it. But it's a game. That's what folly is to a fool. It's a game. And that, that game can be true. It doesn't matter if you grow up in a Christian home or grow up in the church, whatever else. Folly can be a game. It can look like fun, but it can be, it can be a disaster. And when that continues, if that's not dealt with, maybe just a word about parenting, 
then that folly continues, and we're on a path where that child, because of our inherited from our parents and our first parent, that, 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 that continues, and all of a sudden, this is, this is kind of life. It's on a bigger scale, and then you, you, you know better, and, and you, 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 you press, you, you just stretch it. And it leads down a path of, wow. Oh, if we could, oh, if there's things we could do over or things we could say over, we'd do it, would we not? Everybody want to say amen to that? Oh, my. So, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Here's the principle. It's obvious, isn't it? A little thing can have a great impact, or maybe I could say it another way, a little thing can ruin everything. Let's just take a moment and listen to Neuheiser. He does such a fine job with talking about wisdom versus folly. Proverbs contrasts two types of individuals. We get that. The wise and the foolish. Foolishness is not merely a mental defect. Rather, folly is a moral deficiency which leads to all kinds of disaster and sins in life. Fools lack sense, and they lack the sense to know that they lack sense. That's why we need the Word, why we need people, why we need parents. Fools are unteachable because they are, everybody say it, they are pride. Do not be wise in your eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. 3.7. They reject God's wisdom and they hate discipline. A fool ends up wasting his or her life, ultimately coming to ruin. A fool doesn't learn because a fool doesn't listen. And we're reminded, if we're not listening, we're not learning. If we're not learning, we're not growing. If we're not growing, we're in trouble. I can still hear my parents say, Why'd you do that? You know better. <laughs> and then they would ask me this, what were you thinking? And I could tell them, I wasn't thinking. I just wanted. And if I could say it now in light of the Bible, I wanted to be a fool. And I needed help to see the foolishness of my, of my choices. Uh, Let's get Spurgeon in on this. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are the greater fools for it. There is no fool as great as a knowing fool. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, right? Where I know it was wrong, but a knowing fool. One more by Neuheiser that I appreciate the way he says it, sometimes Proverbs is taught merely as a book of practical tips for earthly success so that people can win at the game of life, is taught that way. Watch that. But wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord and grows in personal relationship with him. We need churches that unashamedly declare the truth of God to believers who treasure wisdom, treasure wisdom. 
God's offer of wisdom to all who seek it from him is not merely a maxim, it is a promise. Skill for living, and that's wisdom, skillful living, does not come upon you suddenly, but grows as you apply yourself to understanding and applying the wisdom of God contained in his word. Ultimately, you can only become wise through Christ, who both embodies wisdom and makes his people wise. So we want to pursue, pursue wisdom. So a little foolishness, a little thing, a, a, a seemingly small choice, you know. Uh, folks said be home at, but I did this, or I know this wasn't a good crowd, but I know, and I know I shouldn't have, but, and it's not, it'll be all right, it's okay, it's okay, or whatever else, little, small, what seemingly is a, a small choice. Have you ever heard this? For want of a nail, the shoe is lost. Okay, for those who don't know horses, the shoe goes on with nails. You with me now? Sorry if I insulted your intelligence right there. For want of the shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, king was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. So, Little sins are not like an inch of a candle which soon expires. Rather, they resemble a trail of powder which takes the fire until at last the barrels burst asunder. How descriptive is that, huh? Where it leads, where it leads, little. There's no, thing, no such thing as little sins, is there? Maybe in our thinking, Oh, but not according to God's word, truth. And it's those little decisions, those little decisions in choosing to please God. It's going to be with us. You know, we, we say it all the time, don't we? Two choices on the shelf, what? Pleasing God and pleasing self. Well, it's adults, but it's young people as well. Conversations with your friends, you know. People that you're going to make your friends. Where are you going to go? What you're going to say? What you're going to do? All those little choices, those little choices that become a, a big pattern of life that can lead to such disaster. Little sin, Spurgeon one more time. Don't we love him? Amen? The best of men have always been afraid of little sins. Men with their eyes well opened by divine grace have seen a whole hell slumbering in the smallest sin. Think of examples too. You know, think of Daniel. The king's food was not a big deal, was it? Oh, but what he knew, knew it was not consistent with what the law required of him, right? Think of those in Scripture. Little, little things that can be true in our lives. Gifted with a microscopic power, their eyes have seen a world of iniquity hidden in a single act or thought or imagination of sin, and hence. They have avoided it with honor, have passed by and would have nothing to do with it. Little sins lead to great ones. Nay, stand back. Little though the temptation be, I dread thee, for thy little temptation leads to something greater, and thy small sin makes for something worse. Horatio Bonar said, a holy life is made up of a multitude of small things. It is the little things of the hour and not the great things of the age that fill up a life like a Joseph or like a Daniel or like the Apostle Paul. Mm. So, 
When is the sin a little sin? (laughs) Seemingly small compromises will often lead to greater ones in a life. So could we say it this way from the book of Romans? Just abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And when you're not sure, learn from Joseph, run and get out of there. Go home if you need to. Choose to please God. And listen, when we do, God will honor it in his way and in his time. So, 10-2, a wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man, here we're arguing, the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Well, okay, we get that, but the idea of right when we look at it in Scripture is more than just the right choice, and certainly it's there. And the Bible, the Bible gives us moral clarity. The Bible's clear. What's right, what's wrong. Amen? Bible's clear on that. It doesn't leave in gray areas. Gives us statements, promises, commands, warnings, principles that we can know what is right and what is wrong in the course of life. Scripture is is sufficient for us pertaining to all of life and godliness, right and wrong. But there is more here in the concept of right being the idea of under God's protection or his care. A couple of verses that present to us that same idea. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So there is the idea, likewise, that this this choice of right is to be under God's word and under God's care and under God's protection and experiencing God's safety. In fact, turn with me right at the beginning of Proverbs, if you would, and there is that long statement about getting wisdom at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 1. Long call to the, to the son, to the daughter, to be wise, desire wisdom with all that you are worth. And it concludes at the end of chapter 1, look at verse 32, we've got that contrast. For the waywardness of the naive, that's the person who believes what? Anything, right? Of the naive shall kill them. And the complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live how? Ah, safe, secure, protection. It's the idea. And shall be at ease from the dread of evil. So there we have the protection, the idea of of the help of wisdom in our lives. And God's wisdom, again, his truth, gives you moral clarity in life so that you can, through gaining wisdom, know what is is right. And to heed what is right is to obey. And what kind of world do we live in? What is the spirit of the age today in light of verse 2? Well, um, we could just, nothing's new under the sun. We could go to the end of the book of Joshua. Do I have it right? The last verse in Joshua, do I have it right? Every man was doing, it in Joshua, right? 
That which was where? It's in own eyes. That's what we got today, right? Whatever you think is right. And there is no absolute truth. And we come back and say, wait a minute, what, what God says is truth. This is, our, this is our guide. This is our authority. In our lives, if we claim to be a Christian, we're going to follow. Wisdom is to follow his word. So even when the fool, oh, verse 3, even when the fool looks at this, when he walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. <laughs> That's so vivid. Even when he walks, walks along the road, one guy said, um, the fool always finds a way to do something stupid. The, the, the fool is, is, is mindless as to the consequence of his folly. He thinks, he thinks, Things are fun, like, like uh, getting with your friend on an overpass of a highway and throwing rocks down at cars coming. He has no concept, no concept of it's, it's fun to him or fun to her, and then somebody's car or windshield, an accident, and a life's taken. See, that's, that's, the, that's the folly of a fool. And that's where, that's where I just, uh, my heart is for you in parenting. That's where our kids are heading without wisdom. They're heading there without wisdom. So this, this is um, Proverbs 14, uh, 1424b. And I don't know why I've got it. So I want to look at there, 14, 1424 B. Oh, yeah, it says this, the crown of the wise is their riches, but the folly of fools is foolishness. That's his life, 24B, Proverbs 14, 24B. Where foolishness leads is to the life activity then, with reference, it, it is that which is characteristic of a fool. Deborah and I, they're, they're not our neighbors anymore, and Terry's with the Lord. We had opportunity with Terry and his wife. I don't know if if uh, she came to Christ, but when they moved in and they were just real wide open, transparent people, and that was, remember the couple that lived next door, and, and one of the things we got to know them, they said, hey, we have a son who's uh, bad news, and we just want you to know that. He's a fool. I don't know if they used the word fool, but they said, they, they warned us if we ever seen him around their house, be on guard, because he's just nothing but trouble. Imagine that. Now, he wasn't living at home, and he was not a teen. He was older than that, but he was a young man. And, and they, they warned us concerning. Can you imagine what that, just think about what that's like. I've got to warn you about my son. It's bad news if he comes into our, to our neighborhood. And I always remember that because one time, I don't know why, if I was looking out the window or the front yard, I don't know about my situation. I just noticed because one time when the son is there, I was connected who he was, and, and we had a big a yard between us, which was their property, and they were out in their backyard a lot. So I knew I had an understanding of who he was. But one time he's walking down the street. Notice the text. Even a fool walks along the road. His sense is lacking and demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. And he's walking down the road, and there were cars parked out there, and he was looking in the cars, and he was testing whether or not they were open. Can he walk down the road without showing his, his folly? his foolishness. Pretty sad, huh? Pretty sad. So where it leads, that should be a warning to all of us, and that foolishness is bound up in our hearts as a child and 
potential in our lives. Then we have the foolishness that is revealed in verse 4 and following that is evident in rulers, in leaders, and people of authority. Look at verse 4. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allies great offense. That word for composure is a word that conveys to, to convey calmness or gentleness. Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool's anger is known at once. At once. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allies the idea of allies, that word is, settles down or brings to rest. In other words, it, you maintain your composure, it has the capacity. And it makes me think of a verse that is so needed for all of us and is so powerful. Proverbs 15.1, and you should know it by heart, and that's your assignment this week, especially if you've got coaches that are screamers, or if you've got a boss that is whatever else, yeller, or people, you know, Proverbs 15.1 says, let me see if I can quote it, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger, right? We go to those other sections in James, likewise, about, you know, anger not producing the righteousness of God. Uh, when I was in college for three summers, in the summer break, I worked uh, for Kowalski Keeler uh, Cement Company, and we would pour footings and then uh, put uh, forms and pour walls for buildings and worked on a crew. There was two different crews that we had. My brother-in-law worked with them at the same time. Um, it was a great time for Dave and I to get to know, know each other, although at that time we were both pretty good pagans. Neither one of us uh, knew the Lord. But we worked at that job, and it was a good job uh, to have. And uh, there were the, the gentleman that owned Kowalski Keeler was uh, basically a maniac. Um, he'd come on a site, and nothing was ever right, and he was a screamer. And he'd just yell at everybody, to, come on, we got to get this thing done, and whatever else. And, and the, there were two different foremans. One was his son that led one crew, and then another crew was led by a guy that we all loved. His name was Homer. And when we would come on a site where we were at, he wanted to get us done and get set up somewhere else because everyone that he'd make, you know, he'd make a lot of money with just getting more than one done per day throughout a week, and it was a lot of work. But he'd come on a site, and he'd be screaming and yelling, why isn't this done, and we've got to get to this next site, and all the rest of that type of thing, and everybody would just be whatever. And his son was a screamer just like him. And so his son would be yelling back, and they'd have a fight, and sometimes his son would threaten to quit, and you could just kind of watch it take place. He would react. It's easy to react, isn't it? Isn't it easy to react? Yeah. Homer 
was a, a mild-mannered guy. And Homer was always, come on, guys, we can do it. And he is encouraging. He's such a neat guy. I remember also when we had lunch, he was the guy who would pray over his lunch. Now, I don't know, maybe he was a Jehovah Witness. I don't know. I don't really know whether he was a Christian or not. But he had a manner of life. And when the boss would appear on site and he'd be screaming and yelling, Homer would just quietly say, okay, we'll work on getting that done. And, and the boss would just kind of calm down. It's such a truth. Proverbs 15.1. How does it go? Soft answer, what? Turns away wrath, but harsh words, grievous words, stir up what? Stir up anger. Wow. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your composure because your position, because composure, that idea of calmness, graciousness, whatever. In fact, can I, can I bounce over to verse um, uh, verse 12, because I'm, I'm going pretty slow early on, but my heart is so much for the getting this foolishness thing. Verse 12, words from the mouth of a wise man are, they're gracious. There you go. There you go. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always, as it were, with grace, right? So, verse 5 now, verses 5 through 7, is just, well, MacArthur says, verses 5 through 7 is just strange ironies. Maybe your footnote says that to some effect. He's got a one-volume commentary, because I'm trying to figure out what's going on five through seven. There's an evil I've seen under the sun. Now he's continuing with this theme. Like an heir which goes forth from rulers. He's still on the theme of a ruler, of a people in authority. Folly, foolishness, is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in humble positions. What's going on here? I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. Doesn't make sense. What, 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 what's going on here? Um, so, who do I turn to when I need help with something to make sense? I want Wearsby. Okay? The picture here is of a proud ruler who easily becomes, no, we've already been there. The Bible Knowledge Commentary, that's some good help on this likewise. That was on where we were already at, and that's what I should have said, Bible Knowledge Commentary. Solomon stated that he had seen an evil under the sun, the sort of errors that arise from a ruler, that is, the kind of reversal of roles that results from a ruler's caprice. Solomon had seen fools occupying high positions while the rich who were supposedly, therefore, wise, occupied the low positions. He also had seen slaves riding on horseback in position of honor while princes went on foot like slaves. Thus, since, since position was not assigned on the basis of merit, but on the basis of a ruler's caprice, the value of wisdom was often nullified. Now, the first thing I had to do is go look up the word caprice. Do you, are you familiar with that word? Yeah. And I looked it up, and Webster says, one of us that fits to this context, is doing something upon a whim without reasonable thought. So the idea is that the, the, the foolish guy is acting out of some kind of a foolishness, kind of a whim of a thought, rather than in wisdom as a ruler ought to, ought to rule. 
taking authority. And if you read the commentaries, they all get way onto this thing, how this relates to the fact of leadership and principles of, of good leadership. That's the best I can do with this, and I'm just coming back. It is MacArthur's statement that he says, this is kind of a ironic, uh, strange ironies that are going on here. Remember, it's still under this theme, error I have seen, folly is set forth, six and seven. Why would that be? Why would that be? So he's presenting to us silliness, foolishness. Now in verses 8 through 11, wow, we have what is just called basic Proverbs maximums. Maxim. Just things that just do our common sense, that make sense to us. He who digs a pit may fall into it. Yeah? Duh, right? I mean, it's true. And a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. Tearing down a wall, who knows what you'll find in there? Verse 8, he who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Yeah. And he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. He's kind of dull because he needs to sharpen his axe, right? And that's why he says, verse 10, wisdom has the advantage of giving success. I was talking about working at that company that poured those footings and walls for new homes. On one particular occasion, we were way out in the country. A guy was going to build a new home, and he was, had, had a, a home that was very, very old. And they had a basement, or as we say in Wisconsin, a cellar. And they stored a lot of their, you know, canning and stuff in the cellar. He said, my wife won't go down there anymore. And their, their walls that they had were the kind of old walls that were stone with some mortar in there, you know. And they had a problem. You know what it was? Snakes. And he said, my wife won't go down there anymore. She said, build me a new home or live here alone. <laughs> I remember this when I thought of, when I thought about this. Uh, I believe Solomon is describing people who attempted to do their work and suffered because they were foolish. One man dug a pit, perhaps a well or a place for storing grain, but fell into the pit himself. Why? Because he lacked wisdom and failed to take proper precautions. Another man broke through a hedge or wall, perhaps while remodeling his house, and a serpent bit him. Serpents often found their way into hidden crevices, corners, and man should have been more careful. He was overconfident and didn't look ahead. Verse 9 takes us to the quarries and to the forest where careless workers are injured, cutting stones and splitting logs. Just a footnote. I remember having a pair of work boots on one of my boots at the toe. Had a cut. You know why? Because I wasn't careful. And what I, whatever it was I was using with the axe came right down on my foot and could have caused me real. Does that surprise you that that would happen? Okay, for, let's move on. Verse 9 takes us to the quarries and the forest where careless workers are injured, cutting stones, splitting logs. Verse 10 pictures a foolish worker. Par excellent, a man who tried to split wood with a dull axe. The wise worker will pause in his labor and sharpen it. As the popular slogan says, don't work harder, but work, work smarter. Wisdom. 
The common denominator, and I think he hits it here, among these foolish workers seems to be presumption. They were overconfident and ended up either hurting themselves or making their job harder. Wisdom applies to everything, doesn't it? Just everything. Do you remember what it's like? We, all of us know, you ever just do a job and you just don't, don't know how to do it and you did it the, the absolute hard way? And it, it took you five times longer and somebody comes along and goes, oh yeah, boom, 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 you know. They knew exactly what they were doing. And Deborah, do not make fun at me about all this afterwards um, concerning my skilled ability with duct tape and... and uh, gasoline. No, don't even mention that, gasoline. Don't even mention that. You want to sing with me this morning? Yeah, okay. All right. Verse 11, if a serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Don't be presumptuous about it. There it is, presumption again. Could I say it this way? Am I getting too far away from that? Don't count your chickens before they're, yeah. One truth, how, how truthful is that? Yeah. Verse 12, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious. Oh, Lord, let that be so of us. May this morning you have come with gracious words because you wanted to be a blessing to other people. So it was more than just hello. It was how are you doing and how can I pray for you? How you been? Being attentive, gracious words, building up. Oh, how much the Proverbs and Ephesians 4 and all the places in, in the Scriptures that talk about our words and I would just say to the young people here again this morning, I can remember things that I've said 50 years ago that I wish I had back. I'm talking about 50 years ago. Yep, those of us are a little older. You know exactly what I mean. Oh my, if I would have just engaged my brain before I opened my mouth or remembering why did God give us two ears and one mouth, Right? To think, think before we... Let everyone be quick to and slow to speak. There you go. While the lips of a fool consume him, get this, the beginning of the talking is folly and the end of it is wicked madness. He just talks his way into trouble. Yet the, yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen and, and who can tell him what will come after him. conduct of words and the conduct of a fool. The toil of a fool so, so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. Uh, he, he, he just gets lost in his own ongoing conversation. Words. Talk. Talk and foolish talk, foolish jesting, and so forth. We have to be careful of. Then verse 16, here we are back to authority or king again. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Contrast, verse 17. Blessed are you, O land, 
whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat the appropriate, eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. So here's one, here's the fool who gets, you know, the leader gets up, everybody, let's party, right? Let's party. And uh, um, when we wanted to play on the farm, grandpa used to say, um, we'll work first and play afterwards, which usually meant you weren't going to play because there was always work to be done. <laughs> but you know what? When I was his key guy for a summer, we would get up, oh boy, very early, eat milk cows, helped him with that, grain the cows, all the rest, about 5 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock, we'd go in, and then we would have breakfast. I thought it should be dinner and we'd be done with the day, but no, it was just breakfast. But work, work, then, then, right? The way the fool says, no, nah, don't, we don't want to do that. Um, so we're reminded likewise that as men we teach. Now it's, all of us need to be industrious and good workers, but we teach particularly our young men who like, most likely one day are going to be providers to be good workers, to be good workers. All the men would say amen to that. Amen. Um, blessed are you, O, o land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time. Verse 18, through in, indolence, in, indolence, through that, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. In other words, not work isn't getting done as it should. And then here is the, here is the king who says, uh, the leader who says, oh, let's, just, let's just party. And, and uh, back to verse 16, here's his philosophy of life. Um, prepare a meal for enjoyment. Wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Hopefully that's not your life verse, right? Let me tell you something. Money isn't the answer to a broken home. Money isn't the answer to a broken marriage. More things and more money isn't the answer to a foolish son who's hell-bent by his choices. That's foolishness. Everybody say it, amen? Amen, that's foolishness. Thank God for wealth to be able to provide our means and so forth, but wow, uh-uh. So here's the, here's the contrast again, the contrast that's taken place again. Bad leadership. And could I just, could I just get on my horse and ride off here for a moment? We have a government that wants to throw money to fix everything, amen? And it doesn't seem to get everything fixed, does it? Thank you for letting me get that off of my chest. Okay, verse 20. Verse 20. Furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, and in your sleeping room do not curse a rich man. How come? For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter. <laughs> no, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. Proverbs 21, 23. Do I have that? He who guards his mouth and his tongue, oh, guards his soul from trouble. Amen? And you're going to, uh, Stuart Scott has that helpful little booklet on pride and humility, and then he mentions in there 30, 30 ways, 30 manifestations of pride in our, in our lives. And one of the first one that he lists is how pride 
is revealed in our lives by our criticism of others, particularly others in authority. Well, how is that pride? Because what we're saying in our pride is that we're better than them or we could do things better than them. And it's a reflection of our pride that surfaces in criticism. In criticism. I've got just enough time to read you an application of verse 20 about our words getting found out and getting us in trouble. Anybody have your words ever get you in trouble? (laughs) Start a club, charge a nickel, right? Okay. Zig Ziglar, he's a Christian guy who was a motivational speaker. He was playing golf with some young guys, and at the beginning of the game, he looked at a at a young man with amusement. The young guy was about six feet three and weighed 220 pounds. He was uncomfortable as he approached the tee in an unorthodox way. He, he picked up his club, wiggled it a few times, laid it down, then picked it up, the whole process, and Ziegler whispered to somebody, that guy is obviously not a golfer. A moment later, the young man drove the ball about 250 yards right down the middle of the fairway. So much for Ziegler's opinion. After the fellow hit the ball, he walked over to Zig, looked at him in the eye and said, Mr. Ziegler, I heard what you said. Watch this. Ziegler wanted to disappear. Yeah. He wished he could evaporate into thin air, but the young man continued, I heard what you said when you spoke in my hometown three years ago, and it completely changed my life. I want you to know, Mr. Ziegler, that it's an honor for me even to be on the same golf course with you. (laughs) Writing in his book, Top Performance, Ziegler said that he had breathed a sigh of relief and made a new resolution that day to be far more careful in uttering his comments, especially negative ones about another person. (laughs) Amen. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you give to us in your word, the protection that it gives us in life. Thank you for the warning of the foolishness that is ever before us in the choices that we make. And when we are blind to them, Father, awaken us. Thank you for people who call our attention to our foolishness. Thank you for parents that have guided us the right way, God's way, and the times that we didn't see it, but you protected us. But Father, that came from you, so we give you all glory for it and for your word, um, which is our life. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen.